Welcome to Sausage on a Fork, a podcast dedicated to the UK's longest-running children's drama programme, Strange Hill. My name's Neil, and in each episode, I'll interview a former cast member about their life before, during, and after their time on the programme. This is just a short message before this episode of Sausage on a Fork starts. During the recording of this episode, there was all sorts of technical issues, mostly at my end. And as a result, some of the audio quality isn't as good as it normally is. Some of this is from Kevin Bishop's end, and some of it's from mine. I've done my best to fix it, and I hope it doesn't spoil your enjoyment of the episode. Thanks for listening, and now here's the next episode of Sausage on a Fork. Okay, welcome to the next episode of Sausage on a Fork. I am very delighted to say that I've been joined for this episode by none other than Kevin Bishop, who played Sam Spaulding. Kevin, welcome to Sausage on a Fork. Hello, thanks for having me. You're very welcome, very welcome. So what we'll do, Kevin, is we'll start the way we start every episode, um, is we'll just go right back to the start. And if you can tell us how you got in, into acting. Um, well, I was a child actor, obviously, because I was in Grange Hill. <laughs> but um, my very first professional job was with um, Lionel Blair in pantomime. Right. And I was eight years old um, and I was a tap dancer. And it was just something that our local drama club used to do every year at the Churchill Theatre in Bromley. And I still remember what I got paid for that job. For the entire run, two shows a day, I got 25 quid at the end of the entire run. Wow. For <laughs> however many shows, two shows a day over Christmas. That was my first professional check, 25 quid for an wow. entire Christmas. And um, I did it again the next year. Uh-huh. And... I, I just got a bit of a bug for, for performing. And I said to my parents, you know, how do these kids, how do those kids in the Goonies get in the Goonies? Yeah. And um, <clears throat> they said, well, we don't know. And I said, well, they must, they must, how do they find those kids, you know? And so they said, well, we had an agent. And uh-huh. mum and dad looked in the, in the yellow pages and found children's agency they found Italia Conti and Sylvia Young uh-huh. and they just decided they just opened up saw Sylvia Young and said Marlebone, why don't we go and, and meet them and I, I went in to meet um, Sylvia Young in person in Marlebone. Right. and I walked through the door and she said can you sing and I said well um, yeah I can sing she went sing a song I went well I haven't, I haven't got a song she went sing happy birthday <laughs> and I went, happy birthday. She went, you're in. You've got an open audition tomorrow, 10 o'clock, Sadler's Wells. And um, I turned up Sadler's Wells with about 2,000 children. Wow. And their parents. And we started the process of my first sort of open audition for The Sound of Music at Sadler's Wells. Right. And this process went on for two or three weeks. And then I was sat in a circle on the floor put a microphone in my face and said, how does it feel to be given the part of Kurt in The Sound of Music? And it was wow. news round. And I, wow. and I was live in the news round and I said, have I got the part? And so it was, you know, incredible experience. Yeah. I was, um, I think I was 10 years old. Uh-huh. And so that was my first proper like show. Yeah. And then from that, now it's Sylvia Young's and I just worked nonstop. Right. Did, you know, yeah. More consistently than I do as an adult. <laughs> uh, 
mean, the, the thing is, is when you're when you're a child actor, you you don't get paid very well. You in those days, anyway, you right. didn't get paid very well. You didn't get treated very well at all. Right. And um, a chaperone that usually didn't really like children, <laughs> and you always wondered why on earth a chaperone would be a chaperone if they didn't particularly like children. That was always my experience, except for a couple that were lovely. But I mean, the majority in, in general were, were, were pretty mental. And um, so we, I then was at Sylvie Young's and they said it was an audition for Grange Hill. And then this was huge news in the, yeah. in the, the camp. So I had my audition and I was successful. And it was a massive, massive thing for me because I was a huge fan of the show. Right. And then I started to discover the travel implications. Um, I'm from Kent and that's where, that's where I was born. And, um, and that's where I grew up, in, uh, very near Bromley in Kent, in Orpington. Right. I woke up at 5 a.m. Taxi, taxi at 5 a.m. that would take me via East Ham to pick up Jenny Long. Yeah. Anna. Yeah. And then on to Mile End, where we would pick up a bus at Mile End, and the bus would go through Enfield, right. pick up all the other kids, all the all the SAs. We got yeah. a bus with the SAs, and I wouldn't arrive. I wouldn't arrive at at um, BBC Elstree until nine o'clock. Wow. So my journey was was really huge in the morning. Yeah, and then we'd have breakfast. And um, tuition or um, work. And how, how old were you then? How old were you then? I think I was about twelve. Wow, that's uh, that's Sunday oh, for a twelve-year-old. That, that is. Yeah, Sunday. it really was, and it was it wasn't much more fun on the way home. And um, I, I think the, I remember thinking when I was at Grange Hill, I thinking, God, the kids have to work so much harder than the adults because. Not only was our storylines, it was all about the kids. So uh-huh. if you had a big storyline, as I did, and so did Aidan David in the first sort of few years. Yeah. Um, if you had big storylines, then you worked a lot. And then yeah. when you finished on set, they dragged you into a, a tutor yeah. with one of the miserable tutors. <laughs> and you had to sit in there with them whilst they... Yeah, they didn't teach us anything. They just they just sat there and basically stopped us stopped us from beating each other up and right, doing okay. what we be doing. Yeah, you, yeah. You've, you've just mentioned a couple of people there, the likes of Jenny Longer and Aidan Davis. Did you audition with them, or did you audition separately to them? I don't remember Aidan David or Jenny Long from the auditions, right. but I think that's because they weren't at Sylvia Young's and the auditions were uh, right, held. Okay. These, these particular, my audition was held at Sylvia Young's, so they put me on tape and made their right. decision from the tapes. Right. Um, we used to share the taxi together and stuff in the morning. And yeah, it was yeah, they're really, really good times, actually. Yeah, because yeah. your first series was um, series 17. Mm. Which went out in '94, wow. so obviously you were rec- uh, filming that '93, which I hate to say is uh, almost 30 years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and you, yeah. and you obviously you played Sam. It, it was a you know it, it was one of the it was a new double act, wasn't it? With Sam, Sam and mm-hmm. Arnie was was the new double act. So, yeah. and what was it like working with the, with Aiden? Did you get on right from the start? Like? Aiden and I are still pals. Right. Exact same sense of humour. Uh-huh. We used to just crack up all yeah. day long, and um, 
constantly playing tricks on everybody. Yeah. Aiden was a little a little bit more uh, well a little bit better behaved than I was. <laughs> I was okay. quite insubordinate. Yeah, we'll come um, on to that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and so you, uh, from from your first series, that your your first big sort of storyline was the animal smuggling, the animal sellers, animal and, man, yeah, animal man, uh, yeah, and a lot, quite a bit of that. Ashworth was his name. Yeah, quite a bit of that. Yeah, quite yeah. a bit of that took yeah. place on location, didn't it? I mean, it wasn't filmed, you know, in the school, was it? Quite a bit of it. So we were, were your days the same then? We we still have to get up there. Was, <laughs> Animal Man episodes were brilliant because yeah. they were a break from wood. Yeah, you know, boring wood was a completely. I mean, it just wouldn't be allowed now. Right, filming there at boring wood in the conditions that we were in. We had right. we had a green room with a that was a tiny green room with a pool table in the middle of it. Uh-huh. So there was literally nowhere to stretch your legs. We weren't allowed to, there was nowhere to run off any energy. When they said, we're going to go on location, the countryside, to film the Animal Man episodes, there was music to our ears. And I remember Jurassic Park was released in the cinema whilst we were staying in a hotel to film the Animal Man. And it was, it was a massive event for the three of us. We went, we went with June Bettles, the chaperone, to see, um, to go and see uh, Jurassic Park in the cinema, yeah. the very first movie. Yeah, and, and so it was, I remember it was, it was I, I love filming on location. I, I think it's great. It's lovely going into a studio for a bit, but it really is nice to be out on location and moving around. And, and I, I didn't realise, but I, I realise now how fortunate we were to, um, to have that experience because yeah. not many other kids did. It was, it was kind of a special, really. Yeah. So you you, you you talked a little bit about uh, you know you you were a fan of Grange Hill to start with. What was it like joining the program when when you got that part? Like, well, watched Grange Hill in the years with like Tex and Justine. Uh-huh. I mean, that was I mean you know, and and Sean Maguire is now one of my really close pals. Um. And I just grew up watching Sean as Tex and just, you know, I just loved that character that he played. Uh-huh. And then he wasn't in it when I joined. He'd already gone. Um, yeah. But Justine was still there and I had an enormous crush on her. Yeah. Like, like a, a heart-stopping crush. I don't, I don't think you were alone. Um, I don't think you were alone in that, to yeah. be honest. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there was a, I don't think there was a lad under 15 <laughs> years old watching Grange Hill at that time who did not completely love Justine. She yeah. was, you know, uh, incredible. But I mean, I shared a taxi. She had I shared a taxi <laughs> with her one morning and um, I, I, was, I fell asleep on, <laughs> on her shoulder. And, um, and when I woke up, I was actually lying on her lap. And then um, Aidan David says, says to this day that I wasn't asleep. I was pretending <laughs> so I could put my head on her lap. But it isn't true. I genuinely was asleep. <laughs> well, Rachel, if you're listening, he, he, he's just said that he was a he, he was asleep. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't work out who I fancied more, whether it was Rachel or Tex. <laughs> you know, I loved the, I, 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 I loved their I loved their um their their storyline. Yeah. yeah, they were a cute couple. Yeah, well, uh, so and obviously you mentioned there who a couple of your friends are now. When you were on the show, who who, who 
uh, were your closest two? Aidan David. Right. We, we were we were incredibly close. And, um, yeah, we just spent so much time together. There was a very mm-hmm. funny story. And, you, you I mean, I'm, I'm, at some point you should interview Aidan at, at some point. But, I mean, we were over in this field. I think it was during the Animal Man right. episodes. And then um, we were in this huge, long grass field. Mm-hmm. And miles and miles away from, from the camera. And they obviously wanted this shot of us walking over the over the grass and um so far away we can't even we can barely see the crew so i decide to just tell aiden what i think of everybody the producers <laughs> the other actors you know really really going for it and then by the time i got back when we were on this long walk everybody was furious because they heard me on the cast so just absolutely wiping the floor with everyone um funny um story there were so many others that i don't really want to repeat but i just remember those days being incredibly funny i mean kids were just kids were really funny and just so full of character i mean we used to uh, it was a common trip that we used to do in boreham wood where the 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 woman on the tannoy because you had to have a tannoy to get hold of people in those days because there weren't any mobile phones yeah, we just used to phone the woman if there was a new tannoy person, and they were often they were foreign. Yeah. We would just I'd tell the um, you know tell the the, um, the the tannoy person that could she please put a you know a message out to uh, Mister Oxard, and she'd say <laughs> what's his first name? We'd say Mike, you know, and and then, and then we'd all sit there waiting for the announcement, and it was it was just. <laughs> such a brilliant brilliant time i mean we, so we would go into the uh, we would go into the breakfast uh queue and the, which the the, can, the bbc canteen which was absolutely awful i mean it was like it was deep fried or nothing right um you know it, it was absolutely horrendous and um the closest thing you'd get to a salad was fruit salad sweet and um and and so we used to go in there and what i loved about bbc was the huge stars the kids from Grange Hill so you'd be in the queue with Brian Harvey from East 17 and Gabrielle and then they'd be take that getting a jacket potato and beans yeah and Madonna you know arguing wow. that there isn't any lactose free milk and um from EastEnders you know yeah. in June and then we'd sit down you'd sit down and eat your lunch with brown EastEnders yeah and it, there wasn't any separation or segregation at all. It was just, this is the shit BBC canteen where everyone gets their food. And these are the shit tables that you sit down at. It was, it was a little bit like a large school anyway. Right. You know? So um, I just loved that. I just, I just loved that, that time in England where we weren't America. Right. We didn't have that American thing about us. It was like, when you come to England, you roll up your sleeves yeah. and you get your jacket potato, <laughs> beans and cheese in the BBC canteen, Madonna. You know, that was, that was what it was like. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. And so was there anyone uh, that you enjoyed, really enjoyed working with on Grange Hill? Or was there anyone where you thought, you know, if you knew you had different types of scenes coming up? Because you were there, like, Anna Quayle was there, wasn't she, at the time? And I, and I just think... She, I, I, she came across to me that she was just an amazing person. Like she, she always had that vibe about her. 
So was there, was was there anyone else that you that you really liked working with? Now, now you're going to have to remind me because Anna Quayle, that 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 name does ring a bell. That's it, and Miss, Mrs. M- Mrs. Munro. You know the lady from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh yes, Anna Quayle. She was a wonderful, wonderful human. Yeah. I mean, she was a really, really nice lady, and easily my favourite. Right. The teachers. I mean, she yeah. was just. She was always up for a chat. She was always up to tell us a story, and. She was of that era of film. You know, she was a big, big star. Yeah. And then she was in Grange Hill. Um, I'll tell you who else was brilliant. The caretaker, Dave. Um, right. Paul Bigley. He was a really nice fella. He had lots of time for the kids. Um, he was always up for a joke and a laugh as well. Right. He didn't treat us like kids. He always treated yeah. us as an equal. And um, I really did like those people. Yeah. Um, Dick and Ashworth, who played Animal Man, he yes. was good value. Um, there was also a stunt guy we met who played, who basically played me tied up in a bag <laughs> right. um, and thrown into the back of a truck during the Animal Man episodes. Right. And um, he actually went on to be the Willy Wonka, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Johnny Depp movie. He played oh, the right. Oompa Right. Oh, um, was, what, Deep, yeah, Roy, was very, Deep Roy? Is that his name? Yeah, that's his name, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he was the stunt guy that they that they used. Um, in terms of the teachers, I mean, Mr. Robson, uh, he's very nice. It's it's funny because at the time we looked at them as though they were teachers, but now I'm an adult actor. I realise now that they were just actors, like, (laughs) yeah, and they happen to be on a TV show. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, they were. great fun because that you know most actors are a good laugh they've yeah. got lots of good stories and and it was it was an intense um it was quite an intense filming schedule i mean it was it was rapid you know we didn't get a lot of time to do stuff over and over again yeah so it was it was full-on work from the time it started to the time it it finished you know yeah. it was it was hard work yeah. um i'm trying to remember the other the other teachers because it's so long ago now but um Anna Quayle really did stick out for me, yeah. as a as a particularly nice person. Cool. Yeah, no, because it, it's a weird time. I I think your time because it was it was after sort of all like the you know the just say no and all that, and it was I mean that was Grangeel at that time was huge, wasn't it? You know what I mean? So it was it was not not re ident not trying to find a new identity for itself, but a lot of people still identified with the likes of Zamo Ziggy. All those characters, didn't these? So. Yeah, it, when you when you talk about eras of, yeah. of Grain Chill that were that were memorable, I think for some reason, I don't know if this is because just the audience had just dropped off slightly, but the period that we were in is is less memorable than um, than the Just Say No era yeah. or the um, you know with the Zamo and the drugs and you know that it, it's it was it was kind of I felt like when I joined Grain Chill, it was the beginning of it sort of coming to its to its right. end, really, because it had just been around for so long. And as you said, you know, Series 17. Yeah. You know, it, it had kind of it had shifted a lot. It changed the theme tune. It wasn't on, it wasn't the sausage on the fork anymore. Yeah. It was their sort of, you know, jazzier kind of. 
and also we had a lot of competition. I mean, we had Michael Grove and things like that. There were there was other shows involving kids that were that were was I suppose detracting from our audience viewers you know, a little bit. Yeah. But um, the storylines were not as hard hitting as they as they were in previous years. And that's the thing that made Grange Hill brilliant was that it was a gritty drama with children. Yeah. You know, just like anything else, it was well written and yeah. it didn't put any punches and it tackled serious, really, really heavy subject matters. Yeah. And I think that that's something that, that Grange Hill did brilliantly. I mean, also controversial as well. Like when I was a kid growing up in the Just Say No era and all that, my parents didn't want me to watch Grange Hill. Right. They thought it was a bad influence. Uh-huh. And it's just, it's funny to even hear that now because, I mean, kids watch everything of all sorts of all times yeah. of the day. And, but Grange Hill was a real kind of like, mum, please, can we watch Grange Hill? And she'd like, all right. And she'd sit there with us whilst it was on. And if it got, you know, too yeah. inappropriate, she would turn it over. Yeah. And this was on children's television, you know. Yeah. So I think that was a lot of Grange Hill's success as well is that, you watched it and you felt like you were in some way cool or being a bit naughty that you could watch Grange yeah. Hill, you know. Yeah, I mean, that, the thing for me, I, I always say, is that it did tackle hard-hitting storylines, but then there was also, like, I don't know, a little bit far-fetched storylines as well, or, you know, like stupid or daft storylines, because another one you were involved in, your, your first series, was um, the computer tennis, you know, playing the Super Nintendo, wasn't it? <laughs> it was... Um, yeah, it was that Super Nintendo competition. Yeah, yeah, and I was watching that, thinking, why didn't they just go around to what, what's the problem with just going to someone's house, and just you know what I mean, and and just doing it Poorly there. thought through. It was there was always this thing of let, let's try and do it in school and let's try and do this and all that. There was always some sort of money maker in Grange Hill, and that was you on that one, wasn't it? Trying to, uh, I'm you know, I'm I'm really good at computer tennis, so if we have a, a competition where where everyone has to pay, then I'll win, and you did. You know, Sam yeah. Sam did yeah. win the competition, but then he was nicked, wasn't he? And that's who he, <laughs> he got caught and had to give it all. There over. was also there was also the um there was a storyline where I, I didn't have a watch, so I brought an alarm clock in round my <laughs> yeah. neck and said it was all the rage. This is what everyone's doing. Yeah. You know, they're wearing alarm clocks. I mean, you know, we never really questioned it as kids, but yeah. like, you know, you, you could have driven a truck through a lot of these storylines. And I think they were scraping the barrel a bit know, by the like, time they got to us. Flavor Flav did that, do you know what I mean? Flavor Flav did it, it's good enough for him. Well, well that's uh, that's clearly why it was in yeah. our episode in 1993. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, there was, I, I think once you've kind of done, you know, teenage pregnancies, drugs, and all the kind of things that happen in a secondary school, you know, when, you, when you've done those storylines to death, it, 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 I think it's, it's difficult to keep on coming up with, you know, new things. So luckily for us, they went down the comedy route with a lot of stuff and, and that yeah. suited me because, you know, I, I, I always liked to comment. I think that, you know, having my big, my funniest memories in my life are of me at my real school. You know, right. so I had a great time at school. And um and yeah they 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 sort of managed to touch on that occasionally but it was it was quite a lot of the time just pretty heavy drama yeah yeah so and then okay so then, then your second series then series eighteen they, mm-hmm. they did sort of half back to the just say no because there was a drug storyline there with the LSD where yeah when was that 
That was, was that, was that when I was there? Yeah, yeah, 95, 1995. Now, the thing about your second series is you were only in five episodes. We, we didn't see Sam until episode six. And then he was in five consecutive episodes. And then we didn't see him again. And we never saw him. We never saw him in Grangeville ever again. I can I, I, I mean, I know some people will know why, but um, do you want to tell us what went on? <laughs> so it was a string of events. Um, basically, I really struggled at Grange Hill. You know, I really, really struggled with school, not being in school, going back to school. Now, I didn't go to drama school. I went to a sort of ordinary, comprehensive, uh-huh. quite a rough, majority of the kids were working class school right. in South London and was quite uh, I loved my sports I had a lot yeah. of energy and really struggled to settle back into school then back into Grange Hill then back into school and at Grange Hill we only really had a limited sort of area to to, to sort of play or to, mm-hmm. we had no areas to let off any steam whatsoever and I was quite naughty. I in, I disliked the chaperones intensely and right. they disliked me intensely in return. And, um, you know, I have to hold my hands up. I was just a very naughty kid. Yeah. Um, I was the class clown all the time. Uh-huh. And, um, and that remains the same. Um, and yeah, and I and I discovered in the uh, the pool table in the green room that if you picked up the white pool ball and threw it at the wall, it made a very very um, picturesque dent right. with the plaster. So I did it over and over and over again. I didn't realise it had recently been plastered before we came back from the break. And right. as soon as Guy May Jones, who was the production coordinator, I think. Um, and maybe a producer as well. She was a really lovely, mild-mannered lady. They discovered that I'd done this, and, and there'd been punch-ups and all sorts as well. So nice. they decided to um, to sack me from Grange nice. Hill. And they called me into the office, and Diane May Jones said, you know, Kevin, we just we just don't know what to do with you. You're so naughty. Which really annoyed me, because Alan Cave, who was... Uh, much naughtier than me. He somehow managed to remain in the series, but I was being asked to, I was, I was sacked. And, um, and so they said, we, we have to, we've got no other option, I'm afraid, but to let you go. And when I told my father and mother about, about being, you know, kicked out of Grange Hill, they were mortified, absolutely yeah. mortified. They were so embarrassed. And my dad said, only my son could be expelled from a fictional school. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and that was it. And I remember all the kids were going, oh, my God, like, you're going to be so... Oh, my God, Kevin Bishop, man. He, he, like, you've been kicked out of Grand Chill. That's it. You're finished. Your career is over. Right. And, uh, and I really thought that that was it. I had a sort of terrible feeling of doom where I thought, I've, be, I've peaked already. I've been in Grand Chill <laughs> and I've been fired. And this is, the, this is it. It's, got, it's been cancelled before it's even got going. Yeah. And... Um, months later i landed the lead role in muppet treasure island which must have been and amazing by the way <laughs> it was amazing but but it was it was even better because not being back 
from Grange Hill, yeah, I would never have been able to do Muppet Treasure Island because as a child, you're only allowed a certain amount of days filming. Right. I think it's something like 30, 40 days or 50, 60 days filming in a year. Uh-huh. And Grange Hill used to block out all of your days. Right. Part of the, of the contract. They said, all right, he's in Grange Hill. Is there anything else? Because we need all those days. Uh-huh. So you, you couldn't go off and do a day here or a day there. Grange Hill blocked them all out. So by them sacking me, enabled me to land up at Treasure Island, which yeah. is to this day the biggest gig of my entire life. I've been <laughs> downhill since then. Well, and I'm trying to get back. So you, it's, um, yeah, so, you know, it, what it, was, it went, went, you know, every door. Yeah, what was the uh, what was the process for, for getting that like then up at Treasure Island? Because that must have been a, a huge audition, that one. It was, it was it was another kind of um, the first audition. I remember they would just sort of push you out of the way saying yes, no, yes, no, right. you know, based on whether you had blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, orange hair, whatever, you know. And so and then and then they became more specific as the, as the auditions went on. And my sort of I auditioned a lot of times for that right. for that role. Um, I auditioned up against, you know, like Russell Tovey also uh-huh. auditioned for that role and lots of other sort of actors that are probably that are actors, you know, adult actors now. I think everybody went up for that role. Uh-huh. Everybody went up for that thing. At the time, it was kind of like, you know, you know, Hollywood was in town and uh-huh. they needed a lead for their film. So everybody went up for that role. And I, and I think Brian Henson was saying to me recently, they saw something like two or 3,000 kids for the role wow. and somehow all they could do was me that was the best <laughs> they could do out of all those kids <laughs> my god where were they looking and um yeah and so fantastic experience from start to finish it, yeah. it didn't feel real really at any point and when i look back on it uh, it was just an amazing amazing job i had a lovely yeah. time and um and again i'm, I'm still i'm still very close with the Muppets and um, <laughs> still keeping contact with them all. Yeah, Kermit's coming round in a minute for our bacon sandwich. Oh, yeah, I've heard uh, Yeah, I was going to say, I, don't, I wasn't sure if he was allowed to have bacon sandwiches anyway. Um, but, but what was it like filming? Because <laughs> I, I, I just, I don't know, I, I, I just think maybe, because you, you've got to look at the Muppets, haven't you? And not, not the people that you, you know, you can maybe see off camera underneath them like was, was it was it difficult getting to grips with that not really because i think because i was a child yeah there's, you don't have your universe is not corrupted you know with everything else and so <laughs> you, you you kind of you accept your reality and my reality was that i had two best friends their name were gonzo and rizzo and <laughs> we were going off on an adventure together with the film crew yeah and i still you know i think if i'd have been a few years older it, it would have been a different experience, but yeah. being a, being a kid and being in that movie and the and the performers themselves being so incredibly talented uh-huh. and really talented and gifted at what they do, it was a um, complete escape. Yeah, and, and you got to work and, with, and, uh, with Tim Curry as well. Tim Curry, who was just so dry, so funny, yeah. and just an absolute legend. And and also, I got to work with. Uh, Billy Connolly, yeah, and and Jennifer Saunders, who is yeah. still my friend to this day. Right. I just worked with Jennifer in my film that I just produced 
and Jennifer came and and, and performed for us there. She was amazing. Um, so yes, yeah, the, all these all these sort of trips that I made at such a young age, and, yeah. and I'm we're still we, they're still with me today, which is which is not often in in workplaces, is yeah. it? Really, that you get to stay in contact with these people yeah. for thirty years. Yeah. So then. In Muppet Treasure Islands, there's one thing that I want to speak to you about, because you've mentioned this a couple of times already, but there's a part where Jim Hawkins sings solo. Was was that actually you <laughs> singing that one? It was me. Right. It was me. The song was, There's Got to Be Something Better. And I actually think that was that was what got me the part. Oh, right. We had to do singing, obviously, as well as the acting. And I remember my screen test. In, in, in my mind, it was a bit of a disaster, but right. um, well, I thought it was. I thought it was a disaster. I thought I hadn't done very well uh-huh. with the acting, and and um, was fully prepared not to get the part. Um, uh-huh. We'd already recorded, gone into a studio and recorded the song. We regret not seeing it live right. on the day because I look at it now and I think it's. It's all falsetto and it's all kind of, yeah, I remember being very nervous when I recorded it. So I would have liked to have sung it live as uh-huh. Tim Curry did when he sang his professional pirate song. Yeah. I, I wish that I sung it live this day, but, yeah. um, but it's still a really popular song. You know, I, I get, I get grown men stop me in the tube and say my favorite song. Right. Big burly men. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and, and, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm drunk somewhere, you know, in a in a pub, well, I don't, you know, I don't really drink these days. But when I when I used to be drunk in pubs, I would I would very often get up and stand up on the table and sing the song for people uh, on request. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I won't do that anymore. Uh, yeah. Excellent. You've said it's your biggest gig since then. Um, looking at your acting CV, you've been in like quite a lot of um, like classic. Yeah. Classic British programs, really, haven't you? Really, it's quite it's quite a CV to boast, to be honest. I think. Yeah. Um, is there any other? Because I'm just looking there. You know, Silent Witness, Pie in the Sky, Danger Field, Casualty, The Bill, My Family, Doctors, Peep Show. I mean, it, it goes on. You know what I mean? And is there anything there that like, you really? Because my favourite is when you played Ollie in Peep Show. I'll be honest, because I'm a massive Peep Show fan. Yeah. Because <laughs> I just think. I don't yeah. know. Without being rude, you play the idiot fantastically in that in that episode. Like the, you know, that that's my favourite day. But is there anything that you is there anything that you're particularly proud of since then? Other than some other things we'll come on to in a moment. Um, um well, I was proud to work with Rebel Wilson in right. Los Angeles on Super Fun Night. Um, right, that yeah. was a great experience. Just from a, just uh, you know, I, I'm not saying it was a. It's not exactly a stone stone cold classic or anything, uh-huh. but just the experience of working in Los Angeles at the Warner Brothers Studio on the same set that they shot Friends, right? Um, and having my own golf buggy to get around <laughs> in and stuff like that. That was a real moment for me as an actor. Yeah. Where I thought, wow, this is this is really incredible, and uh-huh. um, and I'm so incredibly proud to to have stuck it out and, yeah. and to have achieved this. And you know, there's it's it, more than the job; it's the people yeah. that that I get to work with. That's the that's the thing. You know, working with people like Harry Enfield, Paul Whitehouse, who are my heroes, and yeah. you know, working with Billy Connolly, for example. I mean, Billy Connolly was so 
wonderful person to work with. He had uh-huh. so much time for me and I was an overbearing kid, you know, right. and just to sit and talk and laugh with him. It was such a, I was, I, I was such a mega fan. It was, right. I mean, I used to quote entire sections of his, um, of his stand up. Right. And it just used to, I mean, God knows what he was thinking, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, he was, he was lovely. And, and yeah, and, and, and to work with Kathy Burke, you know, and yeah. these people that I just adored growing up and Kathy directed me in the Oscar Wilde play and Lady Windermere's fan. You know, it, it, it's it's funny. Every time I work with these huge stars, you know, the thing that becomes apparent to me every time is just how ordinary they are and how yeah. and how kind they are and and how much they really sort of care about other people. And and yeah, I'm just I just feel so fortunate to, yeah. to be in their company. You know, I'm, I, you, you do you do sort of as you go through this industry, you, you kind of collect all these friends and they're all so talented and and um and really genuine as well yeah cool so then moving on then a little bit there was star stories which you were obviously you were one of the the, the main sorts of actors in that yeah um, and star star stories was very of its time wasn't it you know because it was all about it was like the spit the spitting image of its time if you like um, yeah, Star Stories was kind of a cross between a comic strip. I don't know yeah. if that rings any bells to you, but a comic yeah, yeah. strip. And um, yeah, it was uh, a little bit like Stellar Street as yeah. well in its, in its energy. And Star Stories was originally created for uh-huh. unknown, which, is, which I think is always the best way to do yeah. new comedy, is get unknown, unknown people and... Um, and launch them, launch their careers. And that's exactly what, that's exactly what Star Stories did for me. Right. You know, I was drama here and there, the odd art house cinema movie. I've done, a, I do yeah. a lot of those as well. It's like a parallel career that I've got. You know, I go off to France or I go off to Germany or Switzerland somewhere and very dodgy, but it's actually not. And, um, <laughs> and I do these, and I do these European art house cinema yeah. movies. Yeah, and, uh, and that's kind of what I was doing. And then they had this audition for Star Stories. I went along and uh, was lucky enough to be cast in in the ensemble of yeah. uh, of Star Stories. And I think after the first series, I remember the pilot episode. It was, it was very much an ensemble piece. And then yeah. by the by the time we got the series, the network was saying, "Well, I think Kevin should play the lead characters." And I was very lucky in the sense that. I look. Uh-huh. I could look a bit like George Michael. I could look a bit like Michael Douglas. I could look a bit like, you know, um, Robbie Williams and whatever. Yeah. And Star Stories was just incredible fun. Everybody yeah. was so brilliant, so talented, um, and it was a really mad time of work where you had to be, you had to really be on your game. You had uh-huh. to really bring it, and you had to be. And it was in a, a better, better times of comedy, you know, as well, yeah. where you could be really, you could be fearless and you could be aggressive with yeah. comedy and you could say things that were offensive and you could make jokes that people yeah. would either find hilarious or deeply, deeply offensive. Yeah. It, was a, it was just a, it was just a better time. I mean, you, you've me. just said there about, uh, you know, you, you could look a little bit like, and you mentioned people that people, that people would have crushes on, but the one that stands out for me, that you played was uh, Alex Ferguson. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> now, as a man, you're a Man United fan, aren't you? So I am. Yeah. So, so what was it like playing Alex Ferguson for you? It felt like I was um, cheating on my <laughs> best mate, my best mate's wife. Um, I was, I was really, really nervous about it. I mean, yeah. I love Sir Alex, yeah. and and I love United, but. As a United fan, yeah, I knew that this was going to be a good crack for the United fans too, because you know it's it was such a you know what could have gone on behind the yeah. behind the changing room doors was just up to our interpretation, you know. Yeah, it was like, the um, it was the, really... the pizza gate the pizza gate story, wasn't it? It was it was it that or was it the the, the football boot? Football boot. The football boot. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Pizzagate. I think that's an entirely different story yeah. altogether. Football but, um, boots, no, that's, that's right. The football boot. And all, but but the, the thing is, is that that really that really bolted well onto you know a period in time with David and Victoria and uh-huh. the Spice Girls and everything. So that's why we wanted to talk about that time because yeah. it, there was it was such a busy busy time in yeah. um, in sort of UK pop uh, culture. Yeah, um, yeah and. Uh, the Alex Ferguson thing for me was just my characters. A lot of people said to me, "Oh, you're an impressionist," you know, and that was yeah. never ever my intention. I'm, <laughs> I've never really intended. I can do impressions of yeah. people, but um, but it was never really my intention to do make a career out of that. So I enjoyed the approximation element of yeah. Star Stories much more. Yeah. My George Michael sounds nothing like George Michael. <laughs> my Elton John sounds nothing like George Michael. Like, in fact, Elton John's my Elton John in, impression is really just the George Michael impression, but with a slightly gruffer voice. <laughs> George Michael was like this, and, and Elton John was like that, basically. So they're not particularly accurate. No. What, I, what, I did, what, what I found is actually funny because I don't actually think impressions are particularly funny, but I think that the if you capture the essence of that person and yeah. then you make it grotesque, yeah. then it becomes it becomes something that's funny. And yeah. that's what we did with Star Stories. And um, and we took one very, very small element of the real person yeah. and then just blew it up to, yeah. you know, stupid, stupid. Yeah, yeah caricatures really. basically, wasn't it? Like caricature caricatures i yeah. mean even caricatures is 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 too good a term for this <laughs> right, okay. yeah so now moving on from that moved on to the kevin bishop show now mm-hmm. first of all how does how did it feel getting a, a sh- getting your own show and having it named after you and, and stuff like that well in all honesty it was overwhelming actually right. and, I, and i wasn't really anticipating um, uh-huh. Yeah, we got. I, I remember the Star Stories was very successful, and it was also Objective Productions, who were the who were the company that produced the Kevin Bishop show too. And I think it was a, a decision by the network and Objective. They just said, "Look, he's the front runner in this show that feels quite sketchy." Uh-huh. Sketch shows were still being made in those days; they were still a thing. And they said, "Well, why don't we put Kevin give Kevin his own show?" and uh-huh want to call it the Kevin Bishop show at all. Right. That was something that I was not keen on. Um, I had all these other ideas for other types of shows, but they said, no, you're making a sketch show. It's going to be called the 
Kevin Bishop show and it's going to be on Friday night at 10 o'clock on Channel 4. Yeah. So there was very little um, input uh, uh, right. from me uh, uh, at that uh, those sort of stages. I actually wanted to call the, co- the show Kev Plus. Right. Um, like Sky Plus. Yeah. <laughs> because it was a Sky Box and, and it was flicking through channels. So yeah. I wanted to call it Kev Plus, which I still believe to this day would have been a much, much better yeah. TV show name than the yeah. Kevin Bishop show. They should have called it Kev Plus. It would have been brilliant. But they insisted on calling it Kevin Bishop show because they their argument was nobody knew who I was. And, um, and I right. remember we had a conversation. They said, why don't you call it Kevin Bishop show plus? And I was like, no, I don't think you're really grasping the syllable context of this, you know. Uh, so those are the kind of those are those are the kind of decisions that were being made in those days. And then um, you know what? It was we used to we used to write 50 sketches per yeah. 23 minute episode. Wow. We would use 42, 40 to 42 of those 50 uh-huh. sketches on average per episode. We yeah. choose the best. And we shot a Herculean amount of sketches. We shot 350 sketches per six wow. episode series. It's a bit like the fast show, that, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit like the fast yeah, show, that, like The really fast show <laughs> is what it was. I yeah. mean, the, my, my show makes the fast show look very like the slow show. <laughs> But um, the Far Show was a massive inspiration for me. Right. You know, it's probably, probably uh, Harry and Field and Chums and the Far Show were my staple of inspiration right. for comedy growing uh-huh. up. That and French and Saunders. Uh-huh. And so you, you know, I wanted to do a lot more of those kind of character-driven um, sketches. Yeah, and I was kind of to doing more idea sketches and stuff and current sketches and things because yeah. that's, that they just were only quick ideas really rather than fully formed uh-huh. out character sketches which was what I wanted to do yeah now one of the sketches I've got to ask you about it wouldn't be a Grangeal podcast if I didn't ask you about this yeah. was when you did you did Grangeal USA on that yeah do you want to give us a do you want to give the, a, a quick synopsis on, on what it was if oh, you can God. remember it I, I can't <laughs> I can't even remember it, but I know that it was Karen Gillen and it was like, I was playing Zamo and it was like, it was if, it, what we did a lot of in the Kevin Bishop show was American remakes of right. British shows. So we yeah. did like um, American remake of Antiques Roadshow and it was, it was basically Antiques Roadshow on steroids. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and the same thing with Grange Hill, it kind of felt a bit like, it was Grange Hill, but it also felt like the OC or right, one yeah. of those American yeah um, and it was bar- they were playing basketball they weren't playing football and yeah I mean very I mean, it's actually quite a silly sketch yeah. but it still ends on yeah I had a look at it the other day as you just said there it's taken just that little bit because Zamo it wasn't heroin it was crystal meth who else there was Imelda was there Roland Mrs. McCluskey Mr. Bronson so you, you took all your you sort of your big characters, main characters, but it's very American. When, if anyone's never seen it, I'm not going to spoil it. But when Mrs. McCluskey turns up, it's a very different Mrs. McCluskey to the to to, to the amazing Gwyneth Powell that you're used to. But yeah, because like, I, I love that. But as I say, I, I couldn't have had this, <laughs> this 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 podcast without without mentioning that. Um, I mean, it was it was uh, it was really. I remember doing that sketch and thinking the Grand Chill fans are going to love this, yeah. and anybody of our age group who remembers yeah. Grand Chill is going to absolutely love this this sketch. Yeah. 
So that's kind of where the, the, the idea came from as we sat down and we talked about possible sketches and things, things that I'd done. And, and we talked about Grain Shield because we had this whole American remakes thing in, and we were thinking, what is, you know, what are British institution shows? Yeah. And Grain Shield is yeah. one of those shows. Definitely. Definitely. And also in that programme, Tolly J. Bowes, she was in a few of them and she actually appeared. She was in Grain Shield as well. I think she was only in about three or four yeah. episodes. Yeah. So there's a nice, nice little other Grange Hill link there. The other the thing I wanted to ask you about the, the Kevin Bishop show was there was quite a few celebrities appear in that playing themselves. Now as someone who doesn't, you know, isn't involved in, in television or anything like that, do you write the sketch and then ask them if they'll appear? Or do you get them booked in first and then write the sketch around that? You mean um, the people that I used in the show that were kind of like just playing themselves? Yeah, so like Frank Carson, people like that, yeah. yeah. Well, we we had the thing with the Frank Carson stuff and, and the um, Orville and all that stuff. Yeah. We, we kind of had these, we had these ideas and then what we would do is we would check right. if they were around and glean their interest if they were keen to do it. And, you know, people like Jodie Marsh and Paul Denan and all these people yeah. that were like, you know, <laughs> big stars at the time but that actually wasn't that wasn't really my my idea actually Uh and it wasn't something that I was too keen on doing it was very much an objective style of of sketch at the time is that they like to get celebrities and 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 mock them basically I mean we didn't do that so much with Frank Carson and um Keith Harris and stuff because they weren't really they weren't really Sort of you know mocking themselves as much but that was an era, that was an era of celebrity that was kind of like you know let's get them as yeah. opposed to now they're you know the celebrities are are really the the you know it, it's king now isn't it celebrity yeah, shows, the, um, celebrity shows Bo Selector was was big wasn't it around then and then yeah. that was obviously what Bo Selector very said similar off. yeah yeah very very similar very very similar in, in yeah. his tone yeah cool cool um so then moving on then from that, just a couple, of, there was one thing I never even knew this existed, which was Pinky and Perky. So they, did, they made a remake of Pinky and Perky and you were in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. I never I never even I knew that existed until yesterday. <laughs> very was. different it, though, wasn't it? It's actually a very funny, it's very different, very obviously very different yeah. to the original, but um, it's actually a very well-written show, very uh-huh. fast. And I, I, would, I didn't play Pinky or Perky, but I used to play all the other kind of voices around it. So like the, the announcers and things like that. It was a fun yeah. job to do actually, yeah. but it was just me sat in a, in a studio booth for, you know, hours, you know, yeah. reading stuff that I didn't even know what, what I was reading. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. So then there was, just moving on, you've mentioned Super Fun Nights. There was obviously uh, the Keith Lemon film where you were in that as well. What's, what's he like, Lee Francis? What's, what's, what's he like, if you, if you, if you can tell us? So I've known Lee for for years, right? And and we're, we're good, we're good, we're good mates. And he's just he's just a very ordinary lad, and he's, he he really loves um, celebrities. Like he really loves, um, you know, he loves he loves doing what he does. Yeah, and he's one of the funniest people I've ever. Is seen he is he as bananas company. as he comes across? Like is he as 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 mad? No, as... not at all. Right. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, he's very shy and um very quiet but he's uh, just an ordinary lad i remember when we were working in belfast on the keith lemon film 
he would come round to my flat and he would knock on my door really quietly and I'd, and I'd, so quietly that you'd almost think nobody knocked. It's <laughs> in my head. And then you'd go to the you'd go to the door, look through the spy hole, and he'd be standing there in the corridor with his rucksack on and his sort of you know hat on. You know, he, look, he looked he used to look like a fourteen year old really. <laughs> and and I'd open the door and I'll do you all right? And I go yeah, and he go Thor going well, but film in it, going good in it, film. And I went yeah, but it's different to telly, isn't it? Different film, different to not not like TV, is it? And I go no, it's not. And I say to him, John, I'm just having some cooking some dinner. Do you, are you hungry? He went. What have you got? I went, curry? He goes, oh, no, 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 thanks. Don't, don't want that, thanks. And, uh, and he, he I'd always struck me how ordinary he was. Yeah. And one of my good mates, whenever I see him, we have such a good laugh. Yeah. And we really, really did have fun on, on that film. And I, I remember there was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life, actually, is him uh-huh. dressed as a Roman soldier doing a fake French accent speaking French. it kind of went I mean I'll do it I won't do it as well as <laughs> he was going <laughs> and he was just doing this making this French accent up yeah. he dressed as a Roman soldier but he did it for 10 minutes solid right. in the tape wow. <laughs> improvising the whole thing I was in tears it's one of the funniest things I've seen to this day yeah. and um, that's the thing with Lee is that you know, when he's in that moment and he's just purely kind of yeah. improvising, it, it, there's nothing, there's nothing quite like it. And he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's a, he's a very, very clever lad. Brilliant, brilliant. So you also round about like sort of around 2014, 2015. There was a, a little bit of a resurgence about um, Dad's Army because obviously the the Dad's yeah. Army movie was made, but then you were in a film which was about the making of the series of Dad's Army. Um, yeah, it was a drama. It was a drama on BBC um, starring Paul Ritter. Yeah. Um, it kind of, it was about um, the writers of yeah, that's Dad's it, yeah. Army and and how it, how it very nearly didn't get made mm-hmm. at the BBC and how much opposition it had as, as with so many of these sort of really famous sitcoms that we've got, a lot of them very nearly didn't make it yeah. to air or got killed at the, um, at the commissioner stage. And so it was just about that really. And it was, a, it sort of dipped into the personal lives of the actors and the writers and the producers. Uh-huh. And, um, uh, yeah. And I played the Spiv. Yeah. James Beck, yeah, private law. Yeah. James Beck. It was a really, really, again, one of those lovely jobs where we went off to Belfast and we filmed it with the brilliant John Sessions, who's, yeah. got, who's no longer with us anymore. Yeah. And he was just incredible. I mean, it was a decent man, cast, you know, it was a, yeah. a cracking cast, like, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Really incredible cast. Shane Ritchie as John Pertwee. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I remember we used to sit in the we'd all be sat in this room on the side of the set or whatever when we weren't filming Uh and john sessions and shane ritchie just their anecdotes were brilliant yeah and we all do impressions as well so we do impressions about all the people that we were talking about and it was it was a really magical moment and a lovely experience in time that I'll, i'll always remember really fondly yeah, I mean, but doing impressions with John Sessions sat there, 
who was uh, he was spitting image, wasn't he? He was like he, he was like one yeah. of your main voices on spitting him. Did, did you not get put off put doing impressions in front of him? No, it's one of those things. If you are if you do impressions, it's it's not like a here's my one and we're all going to be yeah. judged on it. It's like I think if you're a person who does impressions, then you it's impossible to tell a story or an anecdote without yeah. doing an impression right. I of get, that yeah, person. Yeah. It's just it yeah. just it just lends to the colour of the story. So uh-huh. I, said, I had a real effect. I've got a real affection for performers and people that are talented like that. I, uh-huh. A lot of my friends are uh, impressionists, right. and you know we often meet up and and share stories with our <laughs> impressions. You know, right. and the good thing about having friends who are impressionists is that there and when they do an impression of someone that you probably haven't done before or you don't know how to yeah when you see them do it then you know how to yeah, do it. yeah. You see the hook yeah you see the hook that they've heard that they've jumped onto and yeah. steve coogan and i do this all the time i'll do an impression and steve will go i'll grab that you've done that because i actually um <laughs> see now how you do him because um, I was often wondering how um, you, you did that, but you, I just, I know now, thank you, thanks for showing me, and I, I will be stealing that. <laughs> so, you know, we've got, that's that's kind of how we all, you know, and I, I'm good mates with Peter Serafinovich as well, who's also yeah. a phenomenal impersonator, and Rob, Rob Bryden. And yeah. whenever we meet each other at events, we yeah. will, you know, often regurgitate a conversation <laughs> about 10 minutes ago, doing an impression of the person we've just met. Yeah, so, no, pe- yeah it's fun. Peter's on. Peter's only from down the road, isn't he? He's not. Not. not he's not from too far away from me. <laughs> he's good. Yeah. Peter's a scouser. Yeah. And um, I mean, his impressions, his talent is. You know, he's a phenomenally talented person, and and his comedy is. You know, the way his his mind works is. Yeah. Is, it's really unique, actually, and he's a very clever man, and I love Pete. He's got. Yeah. I've got a lot of time for him. Yeah. Excellent. Couple more things that you were in. So you were in Benadorn as well. Yeah. And you were also in Murder in Successville, which I only watched your episode the other day. And you play another member of the Bishop family in that one. Uh, you yeah. play uh, John Bishop. No, no relation. <laughs> you play John Bishop in that one. And as I say, you know, you, you do voices. On, and I have to say, it, it is quite a good, uh, quite, it's quite, it's a very good John Bishop in, in, impression that you do, to be honest. Thank you. Thank it's, you. I mean, yeah, it was John's. John's voice was always. I mean, it's it's, it's not like yours, right? Yeah. And uh, and it isn't like Peter's because Peter and Sarah Finovich and I we always talk about different Scouse accents. And you know, we were talking about Paul Hollywood and um, yeah. you know how Paul Hollywood speaks, and you know he would do that. Uh, you know, nothing, and yeah. um, you know, and and we always sort of put a path to the Paul Hollywood's voice. He's talking about cakes and things like that. Whereas, you know, John Bishop's, yeah, he's much more in the front of the mouth, you know, in the front there, in touching the purity. You know, he talks about my wife, you know. <laughs> so, like, we, we, we break down all these, all these different, yeah. all these different acts. Because, you know, England is a, it's got so many dialects. And if you go up north, you cross the street and they're, they're speaking yeah. a different dialect. So you you if you're an American you, or you for instance you don't really pick up so yeah. much, but as a someone who's grown up in England and you understand you you realise you can pinpoint these different yeah. these different accents from all over and and it is quite specific even though it's a very short distance yeah. away. The thing I was going to ask you about murder and success, Phil. Um, obviously yours was the Chris Kamara episode, 
And he said yeah. at the beginning, he had no clue what was going to happen. Is, is that genuine? Does he really not know what, what, what's going on? Yeah, he has no idea that the, the um they've got no they've got no idea what's happening at the beginning of every episode and they just have to play along. And 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 it's difficult for you as a performer because right. with Chris Kamara's episode, Chris was kind of like he knew what the show was about. Yeah. Chris didn't want to end up looking silly. Right. And I think I think really the best the best episodes are the people that don't what this is they've yeah. just turned up and they you know that's always the best and they have to play along but Chris is just like Chris I remember I pulled a gun on Chris or something and Chris just took the gun out of my hand <laughs> and and, uh, and he would make, he was making jokes as well like they walked into a stable and he went stables and he went hey <laughs> Tom Davis's character turned around and went you what mate which is I mean really sort of silly stuff but Chris Kamara was great fun. I yeah. mean, he was a really, really top lad, and um, and we had, yeah, we had some good laughs with him. Uh-huh. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And then, so 2016 comes around, and you ended up in the remake, the reboot of Porridge. Yeah, um, playing a different, Fletch. a different Fletch. Because let's be honest. You can't play Norman Stanley Fletcher, can you? You know, no one else no. can. Like, but how did how did that come Poison around? Chalice. Yeah, definitely. So, how did that come around then? They, what happened was they had this remake of, of comedies, and I was doing a lot of work with the BBC at the time on various different sort of one-off projects, which I was really, I really enjoyed doing. You know, we had uh-huh. Rat Pack, and you know, we had the Dad's Army thing, yeah. and the Nigel Farage special. Yeah. And they said, look, we're doing this Porridge reboot. Very clear that they wanted me to play Fletcher. Uh-huh. And I was like, this is a terrible idea. Why on <laughs> earth are you remaking Porridge? And they said, well, look, it worked really well with Open All Hours. And I was like, yeah, but David Jason was in Open All Hours. <laughs> like, that makes sense. And then they said, yes, but with Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet, the original writers are writing this right. special. And so my favourite sitcom of all time. Right, so okay. I thought, you know, it's, it's porridge, then it's fools and horses for me. Yeah, um, love fools and horses as well. And and so they said, look, it's Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet. Yeah, and the BBC put an awful lot of pressure on me to to do that. And so right. I did, uh-huh. and I thought it's just an homage to the original porridge, and it's written by the by Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet. So. We'll see what people think. Uh-huh. And the pilot really, really well received. Yeah. Like it was the only of all those specials that was picked up for a series. And so then the pressure was really on me to accept it yeah. as a series. And once people had seen that they had the audacity to remake something as sacred as porridge, uh-huh. the knives were coming out then people would got themselves into this place where they didn't want to view it as a new show they wanted to it, it had to be as good as the original yeah or you know which is which is not just not true like the the you know a new show is a new show and it needs uh-huh. it needs time to to find out what it is it needs time to make mistakes it needs time to evolve into something that that everybody's used to and uh-huh they didn't really give it that chance. And I was, 
I was very surprised. And I, I know that Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet were, were very disappointed that the BBC didn't pick it up for a second season. Yeah. Because it was funny and it had high viewing figures. So yeah, well, we don't, we're not... We, we're still not sure as to why that that didn't. Because I, I remember watching when they did, you know, there was Porridge, they did um, Are You Being Saved? And there was another one. I can't remember what it was. But I remember I, watching. I, I, thought, I thought all of them were brilliant. Yeah. I actually thought that Are You Being Saved was a was a, actually a, a kind of perfect episode yeah. of Are You Being Served? Yeah. But the, 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 um, the criticism that that came under was that, oh, it's, it's camp and it's not this, that, and it's, and it's, and it's not, you know, it, it's dated. And I was yeah. like, well, that is what <laughs> yeah, yeah. everybody misses. You know, yeah. everybody misses that. And um, I, I think that the BBC regret cancelling Porridge because it would have been a great thing to have played throughout lockdown, let's face it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I remember watching, watching the three of them and thinking, mm. Porridge, and genuinely, this is a genuine thought. It's not just because you're on. I remember thinking, that's, that, that's the one that's going to get picked up. That's got to get picked yeah. up for the series. That that'll work. And obviously, it, it, you know, they did make the series. But yeah, as you say, it's a shame it didn't get it didn't continue. Like it is a shame because people thought that we put canned laughter over right. um, porridge, and we didn't. We had a live studio audience, and right. they were amazing. We had a uh, in Salford as well. So I was very I was very nervous. I was thinking. What is this Salford audience going to think of my Cockney sort of, you know, <laughs> comedy? Yeah. And they were, they just loved it. And it was, it was great fun. Um, yeah. It was a shame we didn't get to do yeah. more, but it was still a massive honour to, to work with Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet. I mean, and they are, they, they're, they're so intelligent, such brilliant writers and their plot and structure. I don't think I've worked with a writer since working with them, that know their way around plot and structure quite the same as Dick and right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, one question I've got to ask you. Is it true that you're in the gorillas? It is true. <laughs> right, yeah. okay. Okay, because I... I, yeah. so, I, I played the kazoo in the triangle. Um, right. <laughs> I'm indispensable. <laughs> okay, so can, can you explain that? Can you tell us anything, anything about that then? How, how that's come around? Or... Quite a funny funny story, actually. Um, I was rehearsing Porridge at the time, right. and I get a call. I've been working with Harry Enfield. And uh-huh. Harry said to me, he said, Kevin, um, I've our friend, um, Damon Albarn, um, he said something about going to Japan and doing something for, for gorillas and I just said no I'm not going to Japan um, and I, anyway I gave them your number and so I thought nothing of it yeah weeks had gone by and I get a phone call out of the blue and you know it's Damon and he's, he says hello is that um, is that Kevin Bishop and I said uh, speaking hi it's, um, it's Damon Albarn from, from Gorillaz, you know, like I wouldn't know who Damon Albarn was. And I was like, listen, fucking around. I thought it was Bob Bryden or Pete yeah. Serafinovich or, or Harry, like, you know, playing a trick yeah. on me. And this went on for quite a long time. And then he said, is this now not a good time to um, talk? I can come call you back. And 
and then and I eventually clocked that it, you know, a genuine offer, and 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 so this was years ago now, and it's me and Phil Cornwell, and uh-huh. Phil plays um, Murdoch, uh-huh. I play Two D, and um, Remy Kabakbar plays um, Russell, the drummer. Yeah, and we've got and noodles as well, and so it's something that I'm a big fan of gorillas of the music, and, and a huge fan of Jamie Hewlett's artwork. But I had no idea how huge their fan base is. Right. I mean, like it's just enormous, uh-huh. and the fans are much younger than you'd expect as well. I mean, right. like kids, and so yeah, it's a massive privilege to have been asked to. To come on board and play that character, such a beloved character. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, they're all just so clever. I mean, Damon's so musically talented. It's it's just you know, being around Damon, you you he's really kind of you, you are really in the company of someone. I don't use the word genius a lot because I think it's overused, but in Damon's um, in Damon's case, it's definitely true that right. he is. You know, a, a, a genius, and um, as are as are as everyone else in the band. Really, they're all they're all so yeah. they're all so clever, and um, it's a very clever concept that I think was born out of um, that I think was born out of um, Damon not wanting to do any more press junkets. I think that's how right. Gorillas was created. Right. He, he, off the back of Blur, he was like, I would just want to keep making music and be in a band, but not do any more of these interviews. Yeah. And so they they created a virtual band, and uh-huh. so during the press junkets, myself and Phil Cornwell, we will go and be interviewed in character. Yeah. And Damon just does the live shows, right. and um, and everything else, and and he's and he loves doing that. So yeah. it's it's great. It's, it's I mean it's the coolest thing I've ever been involved in. Yeah, and I get to have. For every now and then for a month or so I get to live the life of a rock star right. without actually being a rock star yeah how does it work are you on any of the records or is it literally just for you know the the, the video shorts and, and, and things like that uh, no I'm not on any of the records at the moment I mean right. I don't know what their plans are but it's it, um, the technology is changing all the time so uh-huh. I think that I think that Damon wants to get to a place where we can be in character, perform, we can perform live, uh-huh. you know. I think he does want that to to, to get to a certain right. point where we can turn up and we can move and talk and yeah. the animation moves and talks on the screen, but right. it's all in process and it's been a bit of a it's been a bit of a weird hiatus with, with COVID in the middle. So yeah. Well, they've got a huge tour lined up this year, so we'll see. We'll see what the plans yeah, are. Definitely, definitely. Okay, I am. So I've just got a, a a few more questions just just to ask you, Kevin, and they're all about Grangehill. The the first one is you, you've mentioned a couple of these, but are you still in touch with anyone from the show? Yeah, Aiden yeah. David. I occasionally reach out to Stephen Hammett, but I haven't seen Stephen for a long time. Right. Yeah. Um, I I hung out a bit with Peter Morton out in Dust. Angeles uh-huh. caught up with him, um, but that's it, really. Right. Okay. Um, okay then. So, other than Sam Spaulding, who was your favourite character in Grangehill? Probably Tex. Right. Cool. Yeah. 
Okay. And if you couldn't have played Sam Spaulding, would you have liked to have played? Was there any other character you would have liked to have played? Would it have been Tegs again then? Would it? Yeah, probably. Probably Tegs. Because he got the uh, the scenes with Justine, is that why? <laughs> That's why. That, <laughs> right. is, that is the only reason why. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay then. So, <laughs> my final question is, why do you think that there is still this disaffection for Grain Jill? You know, why Why do we still talk about it? I think that the reason why there's such affection for Grain Chill is in the same way that we're so nostalgic about our school life. Yeah. You know, when I sit there and think about school and I think about the jokes made and the things that happened and you know, there's a there's a, a fondness and affection there for those times because it reminds us of we didn't have mortgages, we didn't have bills, we didn't have, you know, we, we, we were just, the, our biggest obstacle was homework. <laughs> in those days and and i think that that's what it is grain chill reminds me of happy time in my life i came home i sat down i watched grain chill i had my dinner you know and and it was good drama yeah well it was good drama good actors from kids yeah. that were like me so yeah i had, I had enormous affection for grain chill and um yeah it was it's something that I wish there was something like that that was as hard-hitting as that now mm. on TV for kids. I think that it's something that's missing from yeah. the schedules. And I think that it's something that was essential then and it's essential now. Okay. Um, I'll have to ask you this one now, uh, as you just mentioned that then. There's talk of a Grange Hill movie coming back. You know, is there any chance we'll see Sam Spaulding uh, if you were offered that chance? <laughs> They offer it to me, but then we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they'll go through the. Um, I'm sure they'll go. I mean, they'll be. They'll, I'm sure Todd Carter will be one of the first people to be called. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I, I think it's a great idea. Why not do a Grain Hill movie? They do movies based on everything else. Yeah, and um, and it's got a, it's got a huge market. So yeah. I think they should absolutely do a Grain Hill movie. Cool. Oh no, well, Kevin. Listen, thanks for coming on. I know you're a busy man, and I know you you're working a lot. Like, um, so that, you know, thank, thanks for giving the time up and, and and coming on and talking about your, should we say your short lived experience on on Green Jail, shall we say? But no, it's it's been brilliant. It's it's been brilliant talking to you, and you know, obviously, you know, you're still doing lots of things, and, and long may it continue. So, thank you, thank you very much for coming on. It's it's, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Brilliant. And for anyone who's listening, I'll speak to you next time. My pleasure. My pleasure, Neil. And it's nice to talk to you. Yeah, you too. So take it easy and I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye.